Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibi Youssef. You have to have a real passion for doing this work, and you have to have a real commitment and even maybe even a real like calling to do this kind of work because it's difficult. You can sense tension and you can see when it's not present and you can see when people are enjoying working with each other and enjoying their jobs. Are you providing that kind of experience? Are you creating that environment that's providing that experience? Because there are external factors. Sometimes there's lack of support. Sometimes there's lack of resources. But then there are the things that we do or don't do. We're getting involved in people's lives and in people's mental health in ways that were unthinkable when I started my career. All of the changes, all of the social issues we've gone through over the past few years, you know, but way back at the beginning of my career, would have completely ignored. Having conversations and not ignoring things is one of the biggest shifts. It's a hard shift, but it's one of the biggest shifts that I've tried to make. The key to your business is success. Your people. Get 15.5, the performance management platform that helps you improve employee engagement and performance. Visit 15.5.com slash demo to schedule a demo today. Discover the key to attracting, hiring, and retaining the best social marketers. Hootsuite's 2023 Social Media Career Report has juicy insights on pay equity, challenges, and mental health in the field. Just Google Hootsuite Career Report. Welcome back to another episode of the I Hated Here podcast, all about workplace cultures. I'm your host, Tibi Youssef, and joining me today is Tracy Stonenberg. Tracy, welcome. Hi, Eva. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled to I'm be so here. pumped. I'm, I say I'm so pumped every episode for well, those listening. Yeah, but it's I am especially so now, like especially I'm today. I'm stoked, Tracy, to talk to you. You know I love talking to you. Tracy, fun fact, Tracy and I met for the first time last week in person. So we like built a report then. We were already online friends, but I love when online friends become real life friends. But Tracy, yep. for those that don't know you, can you share a little bit about who you are and what you've done historically in HR? So historically, I've been in HR for 175 years. So it feels like <laughs> like it feels like a thousand or the rest of you. So I've been, I think one of those unusual people that knew one of those weird people that knew in high school, this is what I wanted to do. So I've been working in the world of uh, people in the world of HR for almost 30 years. And I'm currently the chief people officer of a company called the Granite Group. And we're a wholesale distributor based in the Northeast of the US. Love it. I, we're going to get to like this high school yeah. aspiration of HR. But before we get there, I ask every so single at the beginning, every single episode, what is your one HR hot take? One of the things that I like to speak a lot from my own experience, because I, I, I'm still nervous about presuming like, hey, you should do this and you should do that or it's telling people because what works for me may not work for someone else. But through the lens of my own experience, I think I would say my hot take is look deep inside yourself. So I've done a number of things over the years and felt very stuck earlier in my career, in my work and in my life. And I did. I looked externally, or I should say, I blamed things externally. And certainly that does happen sometimes, those external factors there's a lot of them, but I had everything I needed to do the things that I wanted to do within me. And I just didn't tap into those until really my mid forties. So look internally. <laughs> I think it's so that's a take. That's a brilliant hot take. People try to give advice all the time about all the different things and parts of HR, but I love that you approached it from everything you need is really inside you already. Yeah. You just got to remember yeah. that. I, I think I, I noticed a major shift in my career when I stopped worrying so much about being uncomfortable 
and more so decided like if I'm uncomfortable, it's because we're doing something that's really hard and really impactful. And I just need to sit in that uncomfortable feeling and get really comfortable at it. So it's a long way of saying I've been there with you. Internal self-talk. I listen to it whenever I tell myself something like, oh, I can't do this or I might not be good at this. I always ask myself, who told you that? And if the answer is me, then I then stop again and say, okay, well, that's just something I made up. I can definitely do this. So it's self-talk is very interesting. And there's a lot about limiting beliefs out there that I love talking about. But for today's episode, I don't want to get too sidetracked because I can talk about it forever. I want to talk a little bit about that 30-year career you've had in HR. You said in high school, you knew you wanted to do HR. So what motivated you to pursue this career? So everybody has some sort of, almost not everyone, but most people have some sort of early mentor. And I had an aunt that worked in personnel. That's what we called it at the time in the late late 80s, early 90s, right? Personnel in the law firm. And I, you know, I was close with her. I spent a lot of time with her. And I, what I learned from her was what she did really sort of combined business and people and strategy. And, you know, certainly looked a lot different than it does today. And I think maybe it looks much the same in a law firm now as it did back in the 80s and 90s. But I studied psychology. That was my undergraduate degree. I was in psychology. I had a keen interest in that. I had a strong interest in business and I had a strong interest in people and more from the lens of like, what makes people tick? And how can I figure that out? And how can I help a business tap into that? So that was like many years ago, but that's carried through my career. And I I never left. I never, I had opportunities to leave and do other things and run companies and, but just felt like this is what I love and what I'm good at. That's beautiful. It took me a while to figure out that people was what I was really good at. Like it came so naturally that I was off pursuing other things. And I didn't even realize I had a real passion for people. How has yeah. your passion for HR evolved over the years? Well, I lost it for a little while over the past <laughs> few years, for sure. Like it just been there. in the, the the toilet. Yeah. But, you know, I, I grew up in a world where HR was personnel and where it was compliance and where it was, you know, do your performance reviews on time or, or else. And it was hiring and firing. And, and there's still aspects of those things. But from there to now, it's just such a drastic difference. I learned, I also made an unusual shift. I learned very early on, I started my career in college. So I really, I was an intern before then in a 1200 person facility for UPS. So I worked in a very large global company and learned pretty quickly, like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Like that's, I, I wanted to move home or close to home. I was working in a different state and they just couldn't make it work. And I am glad in a way because it allowed me to get out of my comfort zone and apply for a job as a department of one and also running HR for a newspaper and publishing company in my home state where I wanted to be and something that I felt like super underqualified for and had major imposter syndrome about for a long time, but I did everything and I learned everything. And so um, I really believe like every experience, even the bad ones got me to here. Like every experience I took something from, even the ones that were really hard, even the ones that I didn't enjoy as much, I would not change a thing about my career. I feel the same way. 
I feel like all the yeah. all the bad stuff just gets you to the good stuff. And then sometimes I look back and I think about the the several paths my career could have taken. And I just know that I'm really happy where I am today and that every single shitty employer got me one yeah. step closer to the job I have today, which is working with some of the best people I know. So good. I can think swear. So that's good. I'm like, I'm like oh, yeah. curbing what I say. <laughs> like, <laughs> this podcast is called I Hate It Here. You think I censor people well, from saying I know that? But no. Yeah. Okay. 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 So you've been in HR for 30 years. I am still in awe because yeah. like I'm what, like a decade in. I'm like, I'm over it already sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, what are some key inflection points that have happened for you during that time? Yeah. And so I talk a lot about being in it for 30 years and 51. I talk a lot about that too, because I'm more innovative and connected to the world of work and the work that I do and to our people than I've ever been in my entire career. And that came with age, that came with experience for me. Some people get that early on. I definitely didn't. I was a you know, good little person doing exactly what the company told me to do for many, many, many years. So mm-hmm. my first job, my my yeah, my global career at UPS, my five-year global career, I had a woman that I worked for that I've worked in male-dominated industries for most of my life. It just kind of happened that way. And and I love the distribution and transportation aspect of these these roles in terms of the makeup of the company. And and so my first supervisor at UPS um, was a woman. I watched her navigate the complexities of, of being a woman or the only woman on the leadership team in HR at the time, and um, certainly the only Black woman. And watching her navigate that with grace and with grit. And she was an excellent role model for me. She also did something that at the time was so I thought was so awful, but ended up being like the first real turning point in my career. And there was somebody that just couldn't stand, just hated him on the team. And he was very rogue, something I embrace now. Um, He didn't follow the rules. And I embrace that now, but I was very much a rule follower. I was very much a box checker. And and she knew that I couldn't stand him. So she had me report to him. And I left (laughs) and I cried. And I came back. I just left and got gas and came back and was like, okay, I guess I have to do this. And it ended up being such a formative moment in my career because I learned, you know, I, I didn't die. I was okay. Um, I, and I learned. <laughs> and I learned from somebody who was not only very different from me, but who approached things in a very different way. So I learned and I grew. And then the second, there's been a lot, but the second biggest one was a woman in my last company that um, was on my team and she came to me one day and said, you know, I have a problem and it's you and gave me the most horrible, most wonderful gift of, of feedback. And we talked it through and, and I was not giving her what she needed as a leader and she changed how I lead and I'm still working on it. Um, but she, she helped change. She helped me see myself through her eyes and helped me change how I, I led. Oh, that's hard, but also beautiful. Having somebody who cares yeah. enough about you to tell you something really difficult. And then yeah. also the way you gracefully accepted that feedback. I mean, we all think we're like perfect, right? And then you get feedback yeah. and you're like, oh, I'm not. But I, I mean, like, say I it was gracefully accepted, <laughs> but you know, you definitely screamed. Yeah. No, no, no. We've all been there. It then. I do now, though. Yeah. I feel like that's so funny because in the moment, whenever I get hard feedback, I'm always like, 
in my in my my internal talk is like me screaming. I'm like, no, that's yeah. not true. You're wrong. Huh? I'm right. And then and then I yeah. go and like sit with it. And lately, I've gotten really good at saying like. Uh, when I get feedback that's hard, I'll say like, I, I think I'm going to have an emotional reaction to this if I say something right now. So what I think is yeah. best is I'm just going to process this and then I want us to talk about it in two to three days. Because then yeah. I know I will have calmed down enough. But my first reaction, despite all these years of training people on how to accept feedback, how to give it, I still have that reaction right away of like defensiveness. And I just have to remind myself to work through it. It's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. I, love that she, I love that she wanted to share that with you. So how has the HR landscape itself changed during your career? I heard you say like in the beginning you were the rule follower. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. in HR are the rule follower. We're like a heavily regulated space. Yeah. There are laws. We have to abide by them. So I feel like a lot of yeah. us are somewhat rule followers who then become rule breakers. So what has what is how has the HR landscape changed during your career? Like what are some big shifts you've witnessed? Yeah. And I think that's definitely a great way to put it. And that's definitely me. And I still have to fight that kind of rule follower in me because compliance is a part, right? But you don't lead with compliance, you lead with humanity now. And I think that that's what I was missing early in my career. And, you know, earlier in my career, it was all about, I I came into a world of safety and regulations and compliance and transportation and trucking. And and that was heavily, heavily, heavily regulated. And I was taught how to do three-minute interviews and how to make a decision in three minutes on the course of somebody's, yeah, somebody's career. And so that kind of, I got very good at that, um, but which is a terrible thing to be good at. But I, I really was passionate about the work I did, but dispassionate about the employee experience. And that carried through and and through, you know, terminations and decisions, I always thought like, okay, it's the right thing for the business. And, you know, those termination meetings where somebody's there with a box and where you don't let anybody speak. And I'm talking early in my career. And it really led like that. Like my job was hiring and firing. And my job was making people sign forms and telling on them when they didn't sign forms. And they're, and, and and they're- Right, right. And so a lot of that. And then through like lots of things, including that that situation with a changing how I, I led and, and took a deep look at myself over a period of time and, and wasn't fully till I got at the Granite Group and saw and worked for a CEO who was really people first and that the way like you could see the culture walking in, you could just see the I want to say total relaxation, but you can sense tension and you can see when it's not present and you can see when people are enjoying working with each other and enjoying their jobs. And that's when I really changed. I'm still changing and really tried to embrace that people first mindset, which sounds like a cliche, but it's not. And and really try to change myself. And with that in getting bolder, and braver and having tough conversations and standing up to the CEO and telling him when he's wrong and talking to people about difficult things and all of the um all of the changes, all of the social issues we've gone through over the past few years, you know, but way back at the beginning of my career would have completely ignored. I mean, that would have been expected by people within the company and in the company as well. And, and I think Having conversations and not ignoring things is one of the biggest shifts. It's a hard shift, but it's one of the biggest shifts that I've tried to make. I mean, I've even witnessed it in the last 10 years. Like when I started, we never, there are things we never talked about. 
What's that phrase? Like, mm-hmm. you never talk about, like, sex, drugs, and rock and roll at work. Yeah. Now I just feel like, I mean, I hope people aren't talking about the first one. Or the second, <laughs> but, like, you know, up to you, whatever, your, your life, your prices. But I do feel like there's been a major shift. And I don't know if uh, the 2020, the pandemic, the George Floyd's murder, Breonna Taylor's murder, like, I don't know if those yeah. made it even more important to have the conversations at work because it still felt yeah. up until even then that there were some things you For could sure. say at work, but you had to be careful. But then that summer of 2020, yeah. I feel like it was yep. no holds bar. Everyone could yep. say they, exactly how they were feeling and they were calling people out. Yes, they were a catalyst for sure, for sure. And I think in combination with, I don't love grouping people into generations, but I'm going to do it in this case. I have three kids who are Gen Z kids, right? So young people either in the workforce or soon to be in the workforce. They're not just expecting, they're demanding things from their employers. They're demanding change. They're demanding um, speaking out on social issues and they're demanding some type of work-life blending that works for them. They're not going to work 70, 80 hours a week like, you know, I did. And, and you know, and that they're changing us like I'm Gen X. They're changing, they're changing what work looks like. And I think companies aren't quite ready. I know we're struggling with that a bit in areas, but great. Like I'm totally here for it. It's it's really really wonderful. Yeah, I I mean like I entered the workplace at the height of like the girl boss hustle culture mindset where it was like you got to mm-hmm. hustle, you got to get that promotion, you got to be a manager, you got to make that money, and it was like you got to right. give up everything to get there. And yeah, I really feel like with the introduction to Gen Z in the workplace, I've also began to question my own behavior and my own assumptions, yeah. and I feel like they've made me. I know a lot of people will complain about Gen Z in the workplace. I feel like they've made me more conscious of like my bad behavior yeah, in a, in a very nice and mindful way. And I'm also like creating things and experiences for other employees. So not only have they made me mindful of like my traumatic bad behavior, I also then am better able to be a good chief people officer to the people work week because I also want right. them to have a better experience than potentially the experience I had. Yeah, and you're going to fight for it, and I'm going to fight for that, and you're going to raise your voice, and you're going to get uncomfortable and make sure that that happens. Yeah, I don't know. Any Gen Z people listening, greatly, deeply appreciate all of you. Like, it has really, hustle culture was so toxic, and the girl boss was also very toxic, and I I always joke that I'm like a recovering type A. Like, I have to remind myself that I don't have to act like this all the time. So it's pretty cool. We touched on this lightly, but I always joke that HR is like the real life Olivia Pope. If you ever watch Scandal, I love Carrie Washington. I just saw her book tour, but I also love Olivia Pope. Uh, we're like a real life crisis management team sometimes, HR, like because the world outside often impacts the world at work. And so what experience have you had throughout this beautiful 30-year career where you've had to deal with crisis management during times of like natural disasters, like PR crises, what's happening in the world right now? What is HR's role in all of this? So I think we're the people that the company looks to when nobody knows what to do. And I think we saw it. We've seen that. I've seen that throughout my career in different parts. But it became very, very acute during COVID, which was something that people hadn't seen in our lifetime. I mean, the very, very old had experienced maybe the the last pandemic, but didn't wouldn't remember that, right? But but essentially nobody had experienced that. And so we didn't know what to do. And so we leaned on each other. And that's when community became, I really embraced community, which is so, 
so important to me now, so critical to me doing the work I do and living my life, um, just in general, having that. And so I think, you know, I've seen very early in my career, I went through a uh, strike with UPS. So I experienced like what it was like for to cross a picket line, which sucks and I'm not sure I would do now. Um, but back then when I'm, you know, 23, 24 um, and, you know, have people shake your car and try to pierce your tires and follow you and, you know, going through that like dangerous work because it was dangerous and and ultimately carrying the company through and, and kind of trying to stay connected to the customers and having people hate you and throw things at you and to like what it was like at 9-11 and just the collective grief that the entire organization felt and trying to figure out how to support that to, you know, the the way we approach things over the past few years and in more conversation based and equipping our managers with the tools because we have we're so widely dispersed with the tools to have conversations and with the support that, you know, we have both the EAP, but we also have like a external peer plus type of program called life guides where people can like walk through issues and people have been through it and, you know, trying to figure out, be that connector, I guess we're not therapists, right? But we can, we are resource providers. So we do have a responsibility to connect people to resources. And I, I feel like that's been such a huge change. It used to be early in my career. Well, whatever, here's the EAP, go away. And and I can't talk to you about that because I can't yeah. you know listen to you or like, come here, tell me everything. Like, I think there were two people, two types of people like that in HR. So, you know, that's been such a, a huge change. And the, just the talking about things, just the talking about things in the workplace has been a huge change. It's very interesting that we like talk about things more. And, and during COVID too, I had to tell people, like people would come to me for HR advice and I'd be like, hi, I'm really sorry. Like I'm your HR professional. Like this really feels like something you should talk about with your therapist. Because I feel like mm-hmm. HR takes on a lot of emotional burden that I'm not sure anyone really understands how like, our level of burnout is so yep. high, not because we're doing more than we've ever done before, but it's also because yep. we have this aspect that I don't think any other leader really has to deal with of the emotional burden of everyone in your organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I burned out yeah. badly after, like it was after COVID, like after the worst of COVID because yeah. we took it all on. We took it all on. I just remember like 12, 14 hour days, like working until the night, like you're at home, you didn't have anything to do. And suddenly you became like right. the disease control expert. Like I'm over here Googling, like how does COVID spread? Like, you know what I mean? Like we knew nothing at the very beginning, yeah. but a lot of it does get rested upon us, which the interesting part about like crisis management and like PR is a lot of HR people are tasked with writing like internal statements, which I yeah. remember when like internal comms suddenly became, internal comms makes sense to be part of HR's function, but I always mm-hmm. think that there should be like potentially a external marketer or someone who's like a professional in comms. Yep. And I am not a yep. professional in comms. I've just gotten really good at writing them. But I just yep. like, that's also fascinating too. Like how often in your career, when you started in HR, was HR still responsible for all internal comms or were you looking externally in the organization yeah. to help you do internal? Yeah. And I've never worked in a place that had an internal comms department. I've worked in places that had marketing and I've sort of always approached it like a collaboration. But like currently, I guess I would say I directed it 
And then in collaboration with with marketing, who does have the expertise in the way with words and but like the beginning of COVID, one of the things we talked about, and we met every day, seven days a week for a while, the executive, part of the executive team, the kind of core, because we're an in-person business. So we had 40 plus locations at that time. We have over 60 now. So, and essential business. So we never stopped for a day. So we had masks sewn. It was all kinds of stuff. But the most important thing we did was get our CEO. And in the beginning, it was every day on video recording a message to send to our people. So we were, and then we would open, we opened that up like to two-way communications on, on many occasions um, and people would email him. But it was so important for people who were scared to death and coming to work every day just to serve the customers, you know, sometimes behind closed doors that they could hear a message of support from the CEO and or a message of that was tough, like something tough that we had to pass on. But every day for, I think, three months, and then we went to weekly for the remainder of the year, and then we kind of went to monthly from there. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes people think like HR should be the person who sends that message. And I'm always like, no, no, it is the CEO of this company. That should be the person CEO. who gives this message. Like, oh, yeah, I, it doesn't help them to hear from me. Like, I'm their HR person. Yeah. Like, they already hear right. from me constantly. They need to hear from yeah. another leader. That's beautiful that you all do it. Do you still do it to this day? Like, do you, well, you said once a month now? About once a month. So it's it's like a kind of a mini not state of the company. We actually, some members of our executive team go to every location every quarter and do like downloads. And then we do listening tours with town halls. And so it's about once a month, sometimes more frequent, and that's passing on. And those, the hit rate on those, because everybody will watch a video, is like, 75% at least of our people open it, at least, maybe higher. So it's yeah. it was, you get the CEO and he's beloved, you get him sending out a message, then that's the way to communicate it. It's easy for employee engagement initiatives to fall flat when your leadership team doesn't understand the business impact. Don't let that happen in your organization. 15.5 is the performance management platform that helps HR leaders connect employee engagement back to business results. 15.5 makes it easy to collect employee feedback, find insights, and decide where to focus your engagement strategy for maximum impact. Visit 15.5.com slash demo to schedule a demo today. Social media management is part of nearly every organization these days, but what do social marketers actually do? Understanding that is the key to attracting, hiring, and retaining a good one. Hootsuite's brand new 2023 social media career report is the key. Get the skinny on pay equity in the field and other essential insights about social marketers like responsibilities, challenges, pay, mental health, and more. Just Google Hootsuite career report. So many people are awkward on film. Like even I, I still struggle to like do a film message video. I just, oh. I keep on trying to, I keep on trying to make a TikTok. I'm like, maybe someday, you know, I could be a TikTok star. No. I don't think that's in the cards for me, to be honest. So. Same. I do not like being on video. He's great at it. And he's like yeah. one take bill. Never does more than one take. Wow. Yeah. I always have to stop myself in the middle of recording anything. So I'm like, oops, shouldn't have said that. Oops, need to fix that. Oops, I messed it up. That's, that's pretty interesting. Internal comms has just been it's been the focus of a lot of my thinking recently as we continue yeah. to end up in really hard situations in the world and making sure yeah. your employees feel supported, I think is also a change I've witnessed in the last few years where almost everything that happens in the world, I now think through through an employee lens. 
where I'm like, oh, God, this thing is happening. We're going to have to say something. Our employees need to know we support them because there isn't this like break anymore. It's so tough. And and so as we scale and we've grown, we've more than doubled in size. So we were like 250 people. We're over 700 now. And so in the time that I've been here and we were like 25 locations, we're over 60 and we're trying to keep that smaller company feel and keep that culture while we're growing. You know, I knew pretty much everybody's name when I started. There's, I don't know. There's locations I haven't been to. And you know, the comms and that, that's something we always struggle with. The video works well with the CEO, but if you in this now sent a CEO sent out a message every day or even every week, it would get tuned out. It was needed back then. So we really try to figure out like, what do our people need and how and do a combination of things that, that may work like QR codes when those came back during COVID, people seem to use those. So we use those, we use home mailings, we use posters, we use video we use emails we don't have slack um well we have slack but nobody uses it so oh that's fascinating we use slack too much i'm like this needs to be an email every time someone slacks something i'm like i cannot read five paragraphs right now can you email this to me it's so interesting too because there was like during the pandemic do you remember where like all those ceos had to do layoffs and then all the layoff videos got leaked and it was like, then all of a sudden, every CEO was like, oh my God, I can't do anything on video. I'm afraid it's going to be leaked. That was just fascinating. Right. Right. So you have to be really careful. You have to assume that any video or any comms piece that you send out send out is going to be public. Like I talked about in general to somebody recently, like I live my life like I'm in the Truman Show. Like it's pretty boring. <laughs> I don't do anything really. But, but like, you're just always on video somewhere or your any email you type could get sent out to someone. So if you live like you've got nothing to hide, then, you know, it's a little bit easier when something like that happens. Still not easy. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember watching those videos and being like, where's the HR person telling the CEO not to say these things? I was like, where's your cops person? Um, I know. Okay, I know. Before we could rant, I can rant about cops. Do you yeah. have, <laughs> I think you've been doing this job for 30 years. And honestly, you discussed your burnout. I've told you I've been burnt out too, but yeah. do you have any tips or strategies that folks who are in their early or mid in their careers that want to make it to that 30 year mark, but are just looking at the mountain of work ahead of them and the burnout that all of us are experiencing? Like, how do you manage it all? Uh, I didn't. And so I think if you can figure it out before then, uh, so burnout for me happened, like I realized it, I think probably when I was on already being recovered and it was or on the way to recovery, it was two things. It was my CEO having a conversation with me like, you're not yourself and you don't seem engaged. And I wasn't. And I was like, I'm surprised it took you this long to notice because I just didn't give a shit about anything. And then it was me reading an article and I remember by Jack Kelly and I was like, oh, because I know I wasn't really depressed, although it kind of felt like that. And and I was like, that's what it is. And I didn't recognize it myself. And like, how the hell was I going to recognize it in other people if I couldn't even recognize it in myself? So a lot of self-care, I don't want to say is bullshit, but you can't tell somebody to meditate or write in a journal and assure them it's going to work for them because it's so unique. What the road to prevention and the road to healing are so unique for each individual. So unique. So it's impossible to say like, hey, this works, this works, this works. So first of all, you have to, if you want a long career, like why? Why do you want to do this work? 
can't be because you love people. Like you just don't say, well, I love people. Well, because you start to hate them after a while. You'll hate them after a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, certainly it's not all sunshine and roses. Right. And, and the more you move up in your career, if you go up and you didn't have to move up that proverbial ladder because a progression in a career can look as unique as an individual. But if you do get to a CPO level, it looks less like day-to-day HR and more like the business. And you're doing less of the tactical things in most companies that people really love and embrace when they get into the field. So I think you have to really ask yourself why. And then you have to really embrace your inner badass and like you really have to get bold and brave something i was terrible at and some people are innately good at you have to stand up for your people and if you can't do that you might want to reconsider whether a career leading hr at least is for you right because there's lots of different aspects of that and then at all costs set your boundaries and protect yourself from from burnout because it sucks and it takes months to recover. And I I talk about this a lot because it's really shocking. I, I have a lot of friends in HR, a lot of friends in the world of HR, a lot of friends leading HR. I am the only friend that, that or only person that I know, there are other people that I know, but only person that did not leave their job over the past three years. I don't know, I know of people but I don't, I am not close with anyone that stayed in their job over the past three years who was at a CPO or head of HR type of role. And that's shocking. Not shocking to me, I guess, but shocking to people when I tell them that because this, it is brutal and it's not going to get any better. So you have to have a real passion for doing this work and you have to have a real commitment and even maybe even a real like calling to do this kind of work because it's difficult. And like you said earlier, it doesn't really get acknowledged. And there are certainly jobs that are, you know, the teachers, the doctors, the nurses, the medical professionals of the world are, are certainly doing things that are more difficult than the work that that I do. But within a business, I would say it's the most difficult job that doesn't get acknowledged. Oh, I say that a lot too. I also just think it's the hardest executive position in my opinion. Yeah. I think so too. I think you have to like constantly advocate and fight for people. It's so hard because it's also sometimes like deeply personal, especially like DEI work. When you are identify from an underrepresented group, then you have to also advocate for all those employees, advocate for equality, advocate for equity, sorry, inclusion. And then you also are somebody who's experienced microaggressions, you've experienced discrimination. And so I think there's like right. a, a layer to this job that a lot of people really don't understand how deeply hard and draining it can be. And absolutely. And 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 pay equity on top of that and, and doing that through the lens of keeping yourself at a distance from that when that's really, really difficult and um because you see everything and you know everything. I would say this job is not for the faint of heart. And I also have started telling people, like, if you don't like conflict, I'm not entirely sure this is the best job for you because there's a lot of conflict in our job. You have to, like, coach people. You have to tell potentially your CEO and your leadership team the things that they do that's incorrect. And a lot of feedback is deeply personal to people. And so if you are afraid to have those hard conversations, 
I would say work on that first before you decide if this is the path that you want to be on. Because that's the, a gr- great advice. Your, your employees are like relying on you a lot of times. And every time I meet somebody and I tell them I'm in HR, 99% of the time their reaction is, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make me feel good. No. <laughs> no. 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 I, everyone listening, like every single one of my friends has a bad experience with HR. And so like with that in mind, I also carry the responsibility of this job so deeply because I don't want to inflict trauma on anyone. That's That'd be the worst case scenario. So I think that is also an interesting facet of this job that we carry like an added responsibility to not, to be a better HR team than maybe the ones before that your employees have encountered. And I always feel like we're starting from the negative where a lot of executive roles are starting from the positive. Where it's like we have to f- combat everything that people think about HR and do our job really well to get them to believe in us. I think you're right because, you know, you talk to a new person who comes from a different company and we try to create a really incredible people experience right from the get-go. And we do, you know, a lot of things to help ensure that. And we hear all the time, wow. This isn't how I was onboarded at my past company and your team is like so different mm-hmm. than and and I love hearing that, but it also makes me sad. And whenever I talk about like transformation to HR professionals, when I talk about like that kind of much older school versus like more modern approach, I say like, you know, if you're there, you'll hear me say this again. Like, ask your friends and family about their HR departments. Like most people don't do that, but ask. Like, cause you'll hear it anyway. But ask and find out how many people actually have positive experiences and then look at your own company and ask Mm -hmm. your people. And are you providing that kind of experience? Are you creating that environment that's, you know, providing that experience? Because there are external factors. Sometimes there's lack of support. Sometimes there's lack of resources. But then there are the things that we do or don't do. And we can control the things that we do or don't do. The other things we can have influence on, um, we can't always completely control, but we can all make forward progress. I'm still trying to do it every day. What are your thoughts on like the future of HR and people? And where do you see the field evolving in the coming years? You've seen some shit. I've seen some shit. I've seen a lot of shit. And like you always say, nobody predicts a pandemic and nobody yeah. predicts these things. And And I go back to... This was probably, the book's probably three years old. Lori Rudiman wrote a book. She's great, by the way. She wrote a book on um, betting on you. It was a, it, a lot of stories, career advice, really great. I recommend it to anybody looking for a job or thinking about a career change. And she talked about the future of work being filled with data scientists and psychologists. And and although I don't think that that's totally going to happen, that thought isn't wrong. So we're getting involved in people's lives and in people's mental health in ways that were unthinkable when I started my career. We're much more data-driven as a profession, we still have a long way to go, and much more data-driven as a department in my company than we we ever were in my career. And you know, data tells us so much and it tells a story and, and it can help knit things together. So I think parts of that are true. I also see, you know, AI, we haven't mentioned AI, which is like the longest I've talked in months without mentioning the world AI, the word AI, 45 minutes without AI coming in at all, like is, <laughs> is really refreshing, but I'm going to bring it in here. So where we're seeing 
AI, particularly generative AI, coming in and, and changing things, which is wonderful and scary at the same time. So I actually see, I talked about this the other day, and this is scary. This is scary to people like me. I see roles like mine and yours becoming more fractional, becoming more like mm. for two reasons. So becoming more advisory and more external for two reasons. A lot of people are leaving and want to work for themselves. A lot of incredibly talented people leaders have had it with corporate, right? And want to work yeah. for themselves. Yeah. And the other thing is AI changing things so much is, you know, parts of our jobs, parts of everybody's jobs will be automated. I'm not saying that companies won't have full-time HR leaders. Don't, don't jump on me there. They will. That will happen. But in smaller, mid-sized companies, I see fractional, not just for HR, but for finance, for marketing. I really do see our mutual friend, Anessa, talks about this a lot. I really do see that changing in the next number of years because you could get a really talented person for a fraction of the amount of money. So, you know, large companies will operate much the same. They'll automate a lot. They'll streamline a lot. I think smaller companies will get smarter about how they use talent. I think we're we're seeing that in other areas of the business now. And I think we're going to see that in the executive ranks coming up too. And um, it's not going to look like, well, I work nine to five at a job 40 hours a week. It's going to be a choose your own adventure type of thing. Oh, I love a good For choose all your own adventure. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. That's fascinating. I think our job is like so multi- that's what I'm looking for. Not dimensional or not faceted. We There's a lot of skills that fall under the umbrella of HR. So like where your sales leader potentially is like really good at selling, closing, negotiation. That is a part of also HR. But on top of that, we also yeah. have to be coaches. We have to be ther therapists to a certain extent. We have to be able to identify bad behaviors in the workplace. Like yeah. we have to be able to coach people who are conflict resolution. So we also manage the biggest part of the budget, headcount. So there are a lot of skills yeah. that fall into the HR bucket that are not just HR. Like all of your leaders have right. their skills. And then I also have all of those skills under my umbrella of yeah. skills. And so the fractional direction, I think, does make a lot of sense. Like if you can lean on a talent leader that specifically does this one thing really well versus trying to get an HR leader to do everything mm -hmm. really well. Because the reality is- right? And I'll say it like, I can't do everything really well. I can do a few no. things really great if I'm just yep. focused on those few things. And so fractional yep. is a very interesting path for a lot of people. Yep. I personally also really want a lot of HR leaders to become CEOs because I think we're, there's Same. this great article. I got to find it. It made me laugh so hard. Oh. I saw it on TikTok. It was like, can AI replace your CEO? And the whole video and the whole Ooh. article was about how Maybe we don't need CEOs. Everything they do, AI could possibly do. And I was like dumbfounded because I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Like that's fascinating. My other yeah. thought is like maybe a lot of HR leaders with with the level of like empathy we have, we have compassion, we have empathy, we have uh, the smarts on how to run the business. We have the biggest budget item as headcount. There's a lot of skills that HR people have that I see as easily transferable to being a CEO and running a business. And we all know like your leaders make or break it. And so to have an HR person become a CEO and be an amazing leader to a company is just a dream I have that I see more and more HR yeah. people saying like, I'm going to be the CEO now. I'm the captain right. of the ship. I hope so too. I hope so too. 
And I, I talk about our team as being coaches, consultants, and guides. That's what I talk about our team. And I, that's what I talk about us in HR, right? And so when you think of that, like who better to lead a company to become a CEO than a, a coach, consultant, guide, guiding the company through something. And that also leaves us and leaves the CEO right for, you know, AI potentially coming in, I guess, because it, it's already in coaching. And, and I can't wait to read that. I really want to see that. And yeah. it was like, can AI really replace your CEO? And I was like, tell me more. I'm sorry. I love yeah. my CEO. <laughs> <laughs> Did you send it to your CEO? To no, your I should have. How passive aggressive yeah. of me. Like, hey, could you think AI can replace me? <laughs> no, I love my CEO. Just hot so. drop it. Yeah, I know. Text it over. I should. No context whatsoever to send it to yep. him. See yep. what he says. Yep. That'd be so funny. Yep. Okay, Tracy, we like to end every episode with what is your one HR hill to die on? The thing that you cannot stop talking about that you will never agree to the other side of. Yeah. So I've tried to be like like super, super flexible on this. And I think it's it's dips into the world of leadership too because I <laughs> – this is so frustrating. And this isn't necessarily a hill. It's a hill in my company. It's a hill in a lot of companies. Like, talk to your damn people. Talk to your, you know, you cannot wait until the end of a year to talk about all the bad shit that happened the 12 months prior. Have conversations with your people all the time. And as, it, you know, we're trying to get better about, you know, making sure that happens and coaching our managers through that. But, communication's hard for people, but that's, I guess, so that kind of dips into performance, kind of dips into leadership, but talk to your people. Talk to, you know, the conflict avoiders, you know, the people who don't do that, but talk to your people. Good things, bad things, everything in between. That's such a good hill to die on because the amount of times I have managers come to me and they're like, I think this employee's disengaged. And then I say, well, did you talk to them? And they're yeah. like, no. And I'm like, why? Why are you talking to me? Like, you need to go yeah. talk yeah. to that employee and ask them, how are you doing? How are yeah. you feeling? How's your career going? Are we investing enough in you? Yep. You don't need to talk to me. So I love that. You heard yep. that first here. Yep. Go talk to your people. We all say to a blue in the face, go make them do it. Um, Tracy, thank yep. you so much for being here with me today. Um, for those that want to get in touch with you, how should they find you? I think I'm the only Tracy Spottenberg in LinkedIn. So at least unless there's a fake one. That's a good place to find me. And you can find me um, at Tracy Spawn, T-R-A-C-I-E-S-P-O-N, uh, most other like social medias. But I love to connect with people, learn from uh, learn from people, and I'd, I'd love to hear from your listeners. And this has been such a joy, a long time coming and such a joy. And um, thank you so much for having me. I know. I'm so excited. I'm going to see you this weekend. So Tracy and I are going to be at the same conference. So I know two conferences in a row, we get to see each other. But Tracy, seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I'm so grateful to have you in my network, to have you in my orbit, to learn from you. I've learned so so much and I hope I can make it 30 years in HR. You are my North Star now because I'm really worried about it. That's a good thing, buddy. (laughs) I'm real worried about my career right now and how I can do all of this, but No, thank you so much. Honestly, the listeners are going to love this. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I Hate It Here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time.